This is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. I'm Troy Kinch. What comes to mind when you think about the Arctic Ocean? Sea ice? Polar bears? Harsh wind? Frigid waters? Yeah, it's a cold place. We all know that. But here's the thing. It's getting warmer up there. Every summer, the extent of the sea ice in the Arctic is shrinking. And as the sea ice shrinks, here's what we're likely to see. More shipping, more oil exploration, more tourism, more fishing. And all of this activity means that in the future, someday, we're probably going to have to deal with an oil spill in this remote region. So how do we prepare for that? The Coast Guard Gutter Healy, a 420-foot-long icebreaker, is now heading north in answer to this question. The mission? An annual exercise called Arctic Shield, led by the U.S. Coast Guard's Research and Development Center. On board the Healy, scientists are gearing up to deal with a simulated oil spill in the icy Arctic. To tell us all about Arctic Shield and NOAA's role in this expedition, I called up Zachary Winter Stazak, a spatial data specialist on the mission from the National Ocean Service's Response and Restoration Office. We caught up with him just before the Healy departed Seward, Alaska. So, Zach, tell us a little bit about Arctic Shield. Arctic Shield 2014 is a technology demonstration focused on oil spill response. Now, we'll be aboard the U.S. Coast Guard Cutter Healy for about three weeks. There are 50 scientists and 80 crew aboard the ship, and we're going to steam from Seward, where we're docked right now, to the ice edge in the Arctic Ocean, hopefully somewhere around 75 north in latitude. So Seward, where you are now, is in the southern part of Alaska. How long is it going to take for you to get up to the far north to where the ice is? Yeah, so it'll take us roughly around a week to actually get up to the barrel area where we'll, we'll start looking for different types of ice. The various technologies that are being demonstrated have different requirements for what type of ice they need to be deployed in. Okay, well how will you be using these different technologies once you get to where you need to be in the ice? So this year, the Coast Guard is presenting the scientists here with a oil spill simulation where they're going to use an uh, inert dye compound that they're going to put into the water, which will just naturally dissipate over time. And they're going to deploy the various technologies to try and track uh, what they're calling a, a plume, a dye plume. And that was here to kind of work in the same vein that we would if it were an actual oil spill. Could you tell us a little bit more about Noah's role in this exercise? So NOAA's Office of Response and Restoration is here to support the Coast Guard in their mission. We provide scientific support to the Coast Guard during pollution spill and natural disaster response. The U.S. Coast Guard Research and Development Center, which is facilitating this exercise, they've done it since 2012, and this is the, the second year we've been invited to participate. NOAA is also represented by their Unmanned Aircraft System Program Office. They'll be collecting aerial imagery and data with a small unmanned plane called the Puma. NOAA is also represented uh, during this mission by the National Ice Center. The lead scientist for that center is here. The scientific crew in the ship are mainly from the Coast Guard and NOAA, is that right? Oh, no. Um, there's plenty of other organizations, institutes, and agencies that are on board as well. One of the cool things that we're looking at is the Oil Spill Recovery Institute sent out some drifter buoys for us to deploy and track the ice movement and seek surface currents. They actually provided initial funding for the development of Arctic Irma, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, University of Washington's Applied Physics Lab is here 
We worked with them on the marginal ice zone program, um, looking at sea ice dynamics. Cambridge University is here. They'll be deploying an autonomous underwater vehicle, an AUV, to try and map the underside of the ice where oil could potentially collect. And also one of the main technology, what we're calling nodes, is an aerostat balloon that's going to collect video and imagery. That's by Inland Gulf Maritime. And uh, we worked with them earlier this year during another technology demonstration. And there's a lot of different technologies that work with the oil spill simulation. And as I understand it, your specific role in this mission, along with your colleague Jill Bodner, has to do with putting all this data that is gathered together into a common mapping product for everyone to use. It's a tool you referred to as Arctic Irma just a moment ago. Can you explain what this is? So Irma is NOAA's Environmental Response Management Application. It's an internet-accessible geographic information system or internet-based map. One of our main roles here is to integrate the data streams from various technologies being demonstrated here. And we'll bring those data streams into IRMA to provide a centralized visual representation of data that are collected in the field. For Arctic Shield specifically, uh, we've brought along a standalone instance of IRMA that doesn't require internet connection. And this is going to come in really handy because most of the Alaska coast is very remote and internet isn't available especially out in the Arctic Ocean. The need for a tool like this that fills that gap was especially apparent in the native Alaskan communities we've held workshops in. The Internet is even unreliable in towns like Barrow, which have a fairly substantial population and infrastructure for an Arctic community. I think some people may have a hard time visualizing what the Arctic Irma tool really looks like. You know, you go to, to Google Maps and you try to route some place that you need to go. Irma is going to look a lot like that. There's going to be a map there available for you to orient yourself. And then you think about the various spatial data products that are out there. You can have high-resolution imagery. You can zoom in and see down to 2.5-meter resolution. You can have, for environmental response management application, you know, it makes sense that we would have a lot of wildlife information. You know, where are bowhead whales in different seasons? You know, where do seabirds nest during various seasons and different times of the year? You know, what, what type of shoreline do they like? Is, is there a, a more rocky uh, shoreline that a certain species gravitates to? Um, you know, mudflats, tundra, those type of things. We can we put those on the map all together in one centralized focus. Well, that's pretty cool. So it gives the people who are responding to, say, an oil spill, a really detailed view of not only where the oil is and where it's moving, but also where the wildlife is at. Exactly. So you can bring in operational data um, if there were, were an incident. Um, so you could have a sh the ship location, like if two ships were to collide. You could have those point features overlaid on the map um, and also have sensitive habitat turned on so you can see proximity to where oil could potentially spill and uh, come aground in, that, in those areas. So you can deploy measures to protect those, those really sensitive areas. Those can also be placed on the map. I can see how useful that would be. But here's a question I'm sure you sometimes hear. Why couldn't you just simulate dealing with a spill in a cold, icy place by, say, a computer model? What's the benefit of actually traveling to the Arctic on an icebreaker instead of just doing the exercise from home? Well, the U.S. Arctic is home for a lot of people. There are many native Alaskan communities, and those communities could be severely affected if oil were to be spilled. 
these communities rely on the Arctic environment for subsistence activities that are fundamental to their cultural heritage. Um, I think to be truly prepared, you can't replace hands-on experience in the environment. Um, you're looking to protect. If oil were actually on the water, on the ice, you would quickly ask questions, you know, how do you get there? How far is any significant infrastructure from where the spill could potentially occur? A lot of these places are really, really remote. You know, where would oil spill responders sleep and eat? What equipment do you need? How do you get that there? Uh, these are questions that are best answered, I think, when, when you actually have to deal with the, the details of the situation. And that's not necessarily something that Arctic Shield is, is focused on, but having professionals in the field like we do here, um, you know, dealing with the Arctic environment, dealing with the elements, you know, those questions are in, in people's minds. People are actively thinking about these solutions. I guess I just have one more question. What's it like to be on an icebreaker in such a remote place for weeks at a time? I understand that this is your second year for participating in Arctic Shield. Well, you better really like your bunkmates. <laughs> Three people to a room, six people to a bathroom. Um, <laughs> but no, you, you get you get into a routine like anything else pretty quickly. Um, early mornings, long days, early nights, rinse, repeat. The crew that operate the ship are very good-natured, fun to be around, helpful, and it's, it's just gratifying to work with the different scientists toward the common goal with such an important purpose behind it. There's really nothing quite like the high Arctic. It's very harsh, uncompromising, but in the same, in the same right, it's also utterly beautiful. And I feel really lucky to have the opportunity to be here and to be a part of a demonstration like this. Well, Zach, thanks for taking the time to talk before heading out on the trip and safe travels from all of us here back in Silver Spring. Is there anything else you want to add? So there are a great amount of unknowns when it comes to oil spill response in the Arctic. The region is entering into a new era. There's a great deal of work to be done, but uh, NOAA is really committed to stewardship in the region and will continue to provide sound scientific research and support to protect the Arctic environment and the people that depend on it. That was Zachary Winter Stazak, Geographic Information Systems Specialist with NOAA's Response and Restoration Office. You want to know more about Arctic Shield? Well, you're in luck. There's lots more online. Check our show notes for the links. You can find us at oceanservice.noaa.gov slash podcast. Have a question? Send us an email. We're at nos.info at noaa.gov. And thanks again, as always, for listening to Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service.